Remember the 90s, when MTV still played music videos, when people still bought physical copies of albums, and when legendary musicians like Kurt Cobain and Dimebag Daryl still walked the earth? Well, now you can once again relive that decade every week on KBGA because your favorite 90s radio show, Sounds Like Teen Spirit, is back and better than ever. It's still the best show on KBGA to hear artists like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Sublime, Megadeth, Primus, and more. Again, that's Sounds Like Teen Spirit. Now on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m., only on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. Lemonade and Brownies. Welcome to the award-winning Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I'm your pugilistic host, Ian. This episode includes music from the likes of The Breeders, Arrested Development, The Suicide Machines, Better Than Ezra, Moe, Screaming Trees, Fishbone, Guar, The Stone Roses, and Fountains of Wayne. 
Plus, I'm going to be reviewing and playing two songs from the Metallica Blacklist, released on September 10th, as well as one song apiece from the new Face to Face album, No Way Out But Through, also released on September 10th, the new Candlebox album, Wolves, released on September 17th, and the new Third Eye Blind album, Our Band Apart, released on September 24th. I'll start with the Metallica Blacklist. Right off the bat, I feel the need to clarify that this isn't a Metallica collection, or even a metal collection, per se. For the uninitiated, the Metallica Blacklist is a massive, 4-hour, 53-song compilation of Metallica Black Album covers recorded by a disparate array of artists spanning many unlikely genres. It was compiled by Metallica to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the Black Album, which is undisputably one of the most successful albums of all time, having sold over 31 million copies worldwide on physical media alone, and having spent a whopping 488 weeks on the Billboard 200. You're probably trying to do the math right now, so allow me to do it for you. It was on the charts for almost the entire 90s and then some. As successful as it was, however, the Black Album has proven to be incredibly divisive among Metallica's fan community. Some consider it to be the album that irrevocably ruined Metallica. Others are more open-minded and appreciative of its many achievements, believing that Metallica transcended metal with this album and effectively leveled up to a king-like status amid the realm of heavy music, massively increasing their fan base and helping to foster a more widespread acceptance of metal that persists to this day. And with that, I'm certain I just gave away which side of the fence I fall on. Anyway, much like the Black Album itself, the Metallica Blacklist holds a lot of appeal for those who identify with the latter group, and virtually none for the former. After all, those fans couldn't stomach this slower, more accessible iteration of Metallica, so why would they be interested in hearing electronic, indie rock, or country renditions of those slower and more accessible Metallica songs? On the other hand, covers enthusiasts and Metallica's more musically adventurous fans will find a real treasure trove to unpack here. Of course, given the sheer scope and volume of the Metallica Blacklist, there is always inevitably going to be a wide disparity between its strongest and weakest covers. The best ones are something of a revelation, translating these iconic hard rock slash heavy metal songs into something completely different that feels both novel and natural. It is almost unfair how strong some of these covers are, because they make many of the collection's other efforts, ones that would largely be considered good on their own merits, seem rather pedestrian by comparison, which leads me to question whether the Metallica Blacklist's all-encompassing size does it any favors. Highlights for me include, but aren't limited to, St. Vincent's cover of Sad But True, convincingly molding the song to fit her own signature sound, Diet Sig's version of The Unforgiven, easily the standout among covers of that particular song, Rodrigo y Gabriela's instrumental rendition of The Struggle Within, effectively interpreting the song in a flamenco style, and My Morning Jacket's take on Nothing Else Matters, which completely flips the mood of the original in a way that works. However, the covers I was generally most surprised by were the country covers. As I'm sure many of you regular listeners have already surmised from my programming, I've never been big on country music, but country covers of Metallica are actually kind of awesome. They still sound like country songs, but like more badass for some reason. I believe there are only four country covers on the entire collection, by Jason Isbell, John Party, Chris Stapleton, and Darius Rucker, and I would consider all of them to be among my personal highlights and would have welcomed even more on the Metallica Blacklist. On the other end of the spectrum, I was generally less than impressed with the hip-hop and electronic covers on the collection. 
There are but a couple of hip-hop covers featured, and these would typically just sample the song in question for the chorus while utilizing original and unaffiliated lyrics for the verses. That's not a cover, folks. That's just a hip-hop song. It is very much standard practice in hip-hop to prominently sample established songs in creating original content, and calling those songs covers is akin to saying that Kanye West's Gold Digger is a cover of Ray Charles. The same can pretty much be said of the handful of electronic covers among the Blacklist. Perhaps they could be considered remixes, but a remix is still not a cover. I suppose Metallica must have a broader definition of covers than I do, but that definition is wrong, plain and simple. The Blacklist probably could have trimmed off most of those uh, covers and been better off for it, along with the ones that cling too rigidly to the original templates to stand out. I also lament that the Metallica Blacklist didn't have a more uniform distribution of covers between the Black Album's 12 songs. It seems Metallica didn't set quotas and just let any artist who wanted to contribute pick whichever song they wanted, and as a result, the most popular songs from the album received the most attention while deeper cuts got the shaft. Enter Sandman has six covers, Sad But True and The Unforgiven got seven each, and Nothing Else Matters received a whopping 12, accounting for roughly 25% of the entire collection. As for the rest, Holier Than Thou got five covers, Wherever I May Roam got four, three of which were electronic, My Friend of Misery and Don't Tread On Me each got three, though for the latter it's more like two and a half since one of them is a mashup with Nothing Else Matters, Through the Never and The God That Failed both had two, and finally, Of Wolf and Man and The Struggle Within just received the bare minimum representation at one apiece. Based on the collection's distribution and sequencing, which groups all the covers for each song together in the order of the original album's track list, I have deemed that the Metallica Blacklist is not best experienced as a cover-to-cover -cover listen. You'd essentially be hearing the same songs several times in a row, and even though these are all wildly deferring variations on those songs, it would still create the effect of diminishing returns that really shouldn't exist here. And regardless of one's level of affinity for the original song, I'm pretty sure no one wants to listen to just a full, unbroken hour of Nothing Else Matters. For the purposes of this review, I spent a little over a week randomly selecting tracks to listen to at frequent but irregular intervals, usually doing two at a time and making a Spotify playlist to keep track of the ones I already heard. And on two occasions, I put together a playlist consisting of one Black Album song apiece in the original album's order, which meant I had to reuse the lone covers for Of Wolf and Man and The Struggle Within. Of course, everyone will have their own way of experiencing the collection, be it throwing the whole thing on shuffle or just cherry-picking the particular covers they're most interested in hearing. If you're looking to tackle the Blacklist yourself, I suggest you not treat it like a regular album and just focus on experiencing as much or as little of it as you feel inclined, in whichever way you think will facilitate the strongest impression. Overall, the Metallica Blacklist is an uneven but undeniably special way to commemorate a seminal album's 30th anniversary, and although it might seem like a little too much work for some to want to crack, the diamonds in the rough could very well make it all worthwhile. Alright. The first song I'm going to play from the Blacklist in this episode is from an up-and-coming female singer-songwriter. Rina Sawayama is a Japanese pop artist who has lived in London since the age of five. She released her debut album Sawayama in April of last year when she was 29 years old. Her style of pop music frequently encompasses rock and metal, and if her cover of Enter Sandman is any indication, she's going to be one to watch over the coming decade. Here is that cover for you now. Enjoy!
The newest, the hottest, the most overproduced crap you've ever heard. All on KBGA Missoula. 9.9 FM. Great big past, little bitty guy on the rim of my glass And gotta meet the plane so I can get my monkey Teach him to be cool but a little bit funky Got no credit and I got no fear And I got about a buck so I can buy a beer Gotta see a doctor about the words I've said And I gotta get a bike and I gotta paint it red
Exodus with The Toxic Waltz off their 1989 album, Fabulous Disaster. Exodus's first new studio album since 2014 is finally right around the corner. It has long been known that the title of the upcoming album would be Persona Non Grata, but more recently it was given a firm release date of November 19th. Exodus were originally intending to release the album during the summer, but they ended up withholding it while original drummer Tom Hunting underwent cancer treatment so that he'd be ready and able to play with the band on the tour supporting the album. I'm not sure why the band had to delay both the tour and the album, but it is what it is, I guess. Hunting made a full recovery, by the way, hence the album being slotted into the 2021 release calendar and the tour with Testament and Death Angel having commenced in September. So far, three songs from Persona Non Grata have been released. The beatings will continue until morale improves, clickbait, and the years of death and dying. These songs pretty much represent Exodus at their most pummeling, showing that despite their status as elder statesmen of thrash metal, they are still a viciously formidable force. I'm a little concerned that the songs all sound highly similar, but I'll give Exodus the benefit of the doubt that they'll change things up over the course of the album's literal 60-minute runtime. I'll be reviewing and playing from the album later this year on Sounds Like Teen Spirit, so look out for that in the weeks ahead. Anyway, before Exodus, I played Dracula from Houston by the Butthole Surfers off their 2001 album Weird Revolution. New Girl by The Suicide Machines, off their 1996 album Destruction by Definition, and All for One by The Stone Roses, off their 2016 single of the same name. Once again, you're listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash slts2, and to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org slash teen-spirit. Alright, next I'm going to be reviewing and playing a song from the new Face to Face album, No Way Out But Through. Face to Face have more or less spent their entire three-decade existence on the fringe of the limelight. Sure, they did manage to score a radio hit in their 1995 single Disconnected, which is more than some of their contemporaries could say, but while they were undeniably a central figure in the 90s California punk scene, they never received the same level of kudos or recognition as, say, Rancid, NoFX, Green Day, or The Offspring. That's rather unfortunate, as Face to Face have routinely demonstrated themselves to be among the most consistent and hardest working of those bands. Over a span of 29 years, Face to Face have issued 12 albums, provided you're counting their 1999 covers album and 2018 acoustic album, essentially averaging a new release every two or three years. Although they initially broke up in 2004, they reunited just a few years later and quickly got back to a regular album release cycle. They have remained true to their signature sound, often drawing influence from their peers but never abandoning what makes them themselves in an effort to chase trends, and they make sure to craft each of their albums with the proper love and care, even though they're surely aware that the world at large hasn't paid them much attention since the mid-90s. Perhaps it shouldn't come as a shock, then, that the latest face-to-face album, 2021's No Way Out But Through, is another solid effort that lives up to the band's established ethos and integrity. 
Of course, this being a punk album, there's a certain degree of repetition to contend with, not to mention an overabundance of woe-oh-oh harmonies, but relatively speaking, it's not too problematic. I think it actually helps that the songs in the album itself are considerably longer than average for punk. Instead of a rapid-fire series of interchangeable one- to two-minute tracks that could be largely forgotten in as much time as it takes to breeze through them, No Way Out But Through gives us 12 songs totaling over 42 minutes, averaging three and a half minutes in length apiece, with a few eclipsing the four-minute mark. In the hands of a less capable punk band, these song lengths would likely give way to a surfeit of bloat and filler, but Face to Face makes good use of that extra time to afford their songs more depth and individuality. I also found the album's production values to be quite immaculate, with each instrument clearly audible in the mix and Scott Schiffless' cosmically underrated bass lines particularly given their due diligence. Some folks might argue it's not very punk of Face to Face to strive for such a clean sound and production, but I imagine few would actually feel the need to contest the results. I suppose maybe two or three songs on No Way Out But Through can be deemed inessential, but their presence on the album is altogether inoffensive given how strong the highlights are. For me, those would include opening track Black Eye Specialist, which delivers a particularly memorable vocal performance from frontman Trevor Keith in that his vocals here are largely descending as opposed to ascending, the title track, which is an especially hooky and quintessential face-to-face -face song that makes a strong case for its selection as the lead single, Anonymous, which is one of the album's longest and most robust songs at over four and a half minutes, and Spitshine, which is perhaps the finest Bad Religion song that they themselves never recorded. Ultimately, No Way Out But Through is hardly a unique or mold-breaking face-to-face album, but it doles out everything fans want and expect from this incredibly stalwart band, both in terms of quality and quantity. Alright, this next song is another of the album's highlights. This was undoubtedly the title track's fiercest competition for lead single status, and I reckon it'll be popping up in Face to Face's concert set lists for years to come. This song is called Long Way Down. Enjoy!
This portion of KBGA is brought to you by Imagination Brewing Company. By supporting over 1,700 community events in its educational center, Imagination brews handcrafted beer to make a positive impact on Missoula and beyond. For more information about what's on tap, weekly live music offerings, or to reserve the center, call 406-926-1251 or visit imaginationbrewing.com. Don't you want to ride in my survival car? You can take a long way home through Central Park.
which has been brought to you by WMFW, which means we must fight and win FM. Stay tuned for more music coming at you. All right. album Cheshire Cat. A couple episodes of Sounds Like Teen Spirit ago, I had a talking point about the then-ongoing cancer battle of Blink-182 bassist and co-lead vocalist Mark Hoppus. At the time, I pledged to follow up my report once the outcome of the battle was determined one way or the other. Well, folks, that moment has now arrived, and fortunately, this story ends on a positive note. In late September, Hoppus was told by an oncologist that he was definitively cancer-free. Although he'll still have to come in for regular cancer screenings over the next six months, and he says it'll take him until at least the end of the year to get things back to normal in his life, it would seem Hoppus is essentially out of the woods at this point. 
The outlook is so good, in fact, that he underwent surgery to remove his chemotherapy port in mid-October. For those of you not in the know, which honestly included me up until last week, a chemotherapy port is a small implantable device that attaches to a vein and is typically inserted beneath the skin on one's chest. It is used to help make chemotherapy easier and more efficient, so if Hoppus had any expectation of having to undergo any more chemo, he probably wouldn't have gotten the device removed. And with that, I feel we can officially close the book on this story. It always brings me pleasure to report on musicians triumphing over cancer, as cancer is a vicious, indiscriminate, and entirely unfair aggressor. So from the bottom of my heart, congratulations, Mark Hoppus. Anyway, before Blink, I played United Front by Arrested Development off their 1994 album, Zingalamaduni. Gigantor by Helmet off the 1995 compilation, Saturday Morning Cartoon's Greatest Hits. Survival Car by Fountains of Wayne, off their 1996 self-titled, and Normal Town by Better Than Ezra, off their 1996 album Friction Baby. You're still listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com slts2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen-spirit. Alright, next I'm going to be reviewing and playing a song from the new Candlebox album, Wolves. Folks, I honestly wasn't expecting a whole lot from the latest Candlebox album. Although I ultimately liked the singles that preceded the album's release, I wasn't particularly impressed by them, and I also feel like the album title Wolves has been done to death by now. On top of that, Candlebox haven't really put out a great album since 1995's Lucy, the last one recorded with all four original members. With all these factors in mind, I went into Wolves expecting something adequate to decent at most, but what I got instead was blown away. It might not be especially groundbreaking or revolutionary, but damn it if Wolves isn't one of the most epic, well-rounded, and satisfying rock albums to grace 2021 thus far. Wolves is the second Candlebox album to arrive since the band began undergoing some radical lineup changes roughly six years ago. In 2015, original guitarist Peter Klett and original drummer Scott Mercado both left the band, leaving frontman Kevin Martin as the last original member remaining. In their place, Martin recruited original Pearl Jam drummer Dave Krusen, who previously drummed for Candlebox on their 1998 album Happy Pills, as well as dual guitarists Mike Leslie and Brian Quinn on lead and rhythm, respectively. The first and only album recorded by this iteration of the band was 2016's Disappearing in Airports. Cruzen and Leslie both left shortly after, and in their wake, Quinn was promoted to lead guitarist, while a guy known as Island Styles was brought on as the new rhythm guitarist, and the band brought on BJ Kerwin as their new drummer earlier this year, following a four-year stint with drummer Robin Diaz. On disappearing in airports, it seemed like Candlebox was still determined to stay the course despite all the sudden personnel changes, resulting in an album that, despite some atypical guitar riffs and flourishes, seemed like it was being weighed down by preconceived notions and expectations. 
Candlebox had settled into a familiar songwriting style pretty early on in their career, and apparently old habits did not die hard enough to accommodate all the new blood, as disappearing in airports felt like it was caught between the band's past and future. However, by the time the band was ready to record Wolves following even more personnel changes, Martin had evidently come to terms with the fact that the old Candlebox was gone and decided to steer into the skid, finally embracing the band's future head-on. When writing for Wolves, Martin seemingly wasn't as concerned about preserving the classic Candlebox sound as he was about playing to the individual strengths of all the new musicians, and the end results are undoubtedly superior. Wolves still sounds very much like a Candlebox album, whether intentional or not, but it consistently stretches the band's songwriting and instrumentation into different places that largely pay off. Each song on the album makes a point to sound distinct from the one that came before, just about all of them bring something unique to the table, and with 11 songs totaling over 51 minutes, the album feels sufficiently meaty without tipping the scales to overstuffed. Highlights for me include Sunshine, a dirty mid-tempo rocker complete with a poignant shout-along chorus. Don't Count Me Out, which, with its densely layered guitar work driven by a prominent acoustic riff, strongly evokes Days of the New. Closing track Criminals, whose epic outro encompassing roughly half of the song's five-plus-minute runtime ends the album on a high. Lost Angeline, which seemingly draws as much country influence as possible while still remaining a pretty stirring hard rock song and Nothing Left to Lose, the album's heaviest and angriest song, whose main riff sounds like a perversion of Loverboy's Working for the Weekend, and very likely is, considering Candlebox already documented their Loverboy love earlier this year with the cover of Turn Me Loose. Alas, not every song on Wolves has the effect of enhancing the album. Second pre-release single, My Weakness, is undisputably the album's weakest song. Martin has claimed that the song was inspired by Heartland rockers like Brian Adams and Rod Stewart, and unfortunately, that means the overly radio-friendly tendencies of those artists' biggest hits largely color the song. Though I certainly wouldn't call My Weakness a bad song, it's a relatively bland one for Wolves, and sticks out like a sore thumb amid an album comprised of dirty, heavy, bluesy rock and roll. Likewise, the song Trip seems to come from the same songwriting school and is therefore another of the lesser songs on Wolves, but it's better than my weakness at least. Fortunately, the album's numerous standouts hit so hard that a couple minor missteps aren't enough to sink it. Wolves is overall the best Candlebox album since the 90s and a surprise highlight among 2021's new music slate. Alright, this next song I'm going to play is yet another of my favorites from the album. There isn't really anything extraordinary about it. It's just a really strong mid-tempo number that gradually builds to an electrifying crescendo is all. The song is simply titled, We. Enjoy!
so pretty this, so ugly that, so yesterday. Dear lifeless weak, divisive lines, you're really this, I'm really that, so yesterday.
Ne, a vi slušate KBG Mizula Montana Aj uzdravlju
I'm finger licking good job. It's finger licking, it's finger licking good job. It's finger licking, it's finger licking good job. This is Silver Sprocket, host of Something Else, live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. I feature avant-garde, electroacoustic, free jazz, and more creative music every week. You'll get to hear advanced new releases straight from the artists and record labels before anybody else, and extensive interviews with the artists themselves. 
How about you give something else a try? Live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. on KBGA Missoula, 89.9 FM, and streaming at kbga.org.
was Alice in Chains guitarist Jerry Cantrell with Leave Me Alone, off the soundtrack to the 1996 Jim Carrey picture, The Cable Guy. Jerry Cantrell is getting ready to drop a new solo album very soon. The album is titled Brighton and scheduled for release this Friday, October 29th. This will be Cantrell's third solo album overall and his first in nearly 20 years. Three singles have been released ahead of the album, A Tone, The Title Track, and Siren Song. All three songs sound like classic Alice in Chains with a little something extra. A Tone, which represents the culmination of a song idea Cantrell's been kicking around since the mid-90s, is driven by some moody, western-style guitar work that ultimately gives way to a more familiar-sounding chorus. Brighton smooths over the more abrasive edges of Alice in Chains by drawing influence from the likes of Soul Asylum and early Meat Puppets, and Siren Song, released just a couple days ago, is an Alice in Chains-esque semi-ballad a la Down in a Hole, with guitar tones evoking James Hetfield's iconic rhythm guitar. The album as a whole consists of nine tracks, the last of which will be a cover of Elton John's Goodbye that got a stamp of approval from the man himself. Additional musicians on the album include Guns N' Roses bassist Duff McKagan, former Dillinger Escape Plan vocalist Greg Pusiato, and film composer Tyler Bates. Folks, I for one am quite hyped for this album and expect great things from it. I've always felt Jerry Cantrell to be the heart, mind, and guts of Alice in Chains, if Lane Staley was the soul, and as far as I'm concerned, a new Cantrell solo album is just as good as a new Chains album. I'll be sure to review and play a song from Brighton on the next episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit, so keep an eye out for that around mid-November. Anyway, before Jerry Cantrell, I played Finger Lickin' Good by the Beastie Boys off their 1992 album Check Your Head, Love Surgery by Guar off their 1990 album Scumdogs of the Universe, and Stranger Than Fiction by Moe off their 1998 album, Tin Cans and Car Tires. You are still continuing to listen to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com SLTS2, and to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen spirit. Alright, next I'm going to be reviewing and playing a song from the new Third Eye Blind album, Our Band Apart. As I've previously outlined on Sounds Like Teen Spirit, the COVID-19 pandemic has influenced the releasing of new music from both directions, responsible for at least as many albums getting finished sooner as it's been for albums getting delayed. The former has certainly been the case with Third Eye Blind, who have just achieved their shortest album gap to date nearly 25 years following their debut. The band's latest album, Our Band Apart, was issued a mere 23 months following the last one, Screamer from October 2019. Like many of the other artists who put out albums shortly before the pandemic, Third Eye Blind found themselves suddenly unable to tour in support of their then-newest work, and so they opted instead to channel their energies into plotting the next album. As the album's title undoubtedly hints at, writing sessions for Our Band Apart were largely handled in isolation during the early days of lockdown last year, and recording began as soon as lockdown was lifted and bands were able to reconvene. 
The album was initially conceived as an EP and gradually expanded into an LP. A relatively brief one at 9 songs totaling just over 32 minutes, but an LP nonetheless. As a result of all the circumstances under which it came together, our band apart ends up feeling more like a mini-album, smaller and more low-key than a typical release, but that also feels almost exactly right at this juncture for both the pandemic and Third Eye Blind's career. After the Screamer album saw Third Eye Blind dabbling in synth to help cultivate more of an arena-ready indie-pop style, our band apart scales things back and largely reverts to the band's default sound. In fact, only two of the album's nine songs incorporate synth. Track number six, The Dying Blood, and closing track, Time in Berlin, the latter of which also folds in some classical piano to help bring the album to a swirlingly atmospheric finish. The rest of the songs sound more like quintessential Third Eye Blind, albeit a mellower and stripped-down variation of such. Although I found the synth elements present on Screamer to work better for Third Eye Blind than most other rock bands exploring that musical avenue, and the two synth-laden songs on Our Band Apart continue to uphold that sentiment for me, I still found it nice to hear them returning to a more familiar place. I didn't even mind that over half the album was essentially slow jams, because frontman Steven Jenkins, now the sole original member left in Third Eye Blind, really knows his way around a ballad, and his songwriting ensures that all the ones presented here are both interesting to listen to and distinct from each other. Of the five ballads included on Our Band Apart, the best is arguably the album's fourth track, Silver Lake Neophyte. That track is pretty much 100% Stephen Jenkins, and he knocks it out of the park. Overall, Our Band Apart is another worthwhile late-career effort from Third Eye Blind, more or less on par with the quality of 2019's Screamer. It does seem rather slim and understated next to all their other albums, particularly the first few, but there's really nothing wrong with that, especially when we've hardly had to wait for its release. Alright, I think this next song I'm going to play is my favorite from the album. This is the album's longest song at just a hair shy of four and a half minutes. The song is called Funeral Singers. Enjoy! Tree, return, return, return 
mind your P's and Q's, Buster, and remember who you're dealing with. KBGA Missoula, The Cabbage. We are, we are. 
Guns N' Roses with Anything Goes, off their 1987 album Appetite for Destruction. In case you somehow missed it, Guns N' Roses have been trickling out some new music lately. It all started on August 3rd, less than two weeks before their recent Missoula show, when Guns N' Roses premiered their first new song in 13 years, Absurd, to the crowd at the Boston stop on the same tour. Absurd, which is actually a reworked version of the unreleased Chinese democracy tune Silkworms, was released as a single three days later and was performed at just about every stop on the band's 2021 tour, including Missoula. On September 16th, Guns N' Roses premiered a second new song, Hard School, as part of the soundcheck before their Chicago show, a video of which was uploaded to Slash's TikTok that evening. Hard School got an official single release on the 24th and had its live debut in Baltimore two nights later. It was around that time that the band announced the Hard School EP for release on February 25th, 2022. The EP will consist of the two previously released singles as well as live recordings of the classic songs Don't Cry and You're Crazy, presumably taken from the 2021 tour. It is said to be exclusively for sale through the band's online store, though I imagine that only pertains to the physical versions. And how do the first new Guns N' Roses songs in a really long time stack up? Well, Absurd has received a rather polarized response from the GNR fan community, and my take more or less straddles the fence. It's okay. As the first new Guns N' Roses track in 13 years, and more importantly the first one to feature Slash and Duff McKagan in almost 30, Absurd is undeniably underwhelming, but it ain't bad. Although the song's Chinese democracy roots are still very apparent even in the reworking, the main riff nonetheless sounds a lot like a Slash riff, albeit not one of his better ones. I'm really more disappointed in how the vocals turned out. Axl Rose displays very limited range on Absurd, and sounds like he's delivering his vocals through a megaphone, just as Scott Weiland and Mike Patton have sometimes done on stage. Though that's certainly an exciting thing to behold in a live setting, the effect is less compelling on a studio recording, and almost feels like a trick intended to mask Axl's declining vocal ability. On the flip side, I found Hard School to be a truly great Guns N' Roses song. This one also originated from the Chinese Democracy Sessions, but it sounds just like a classic Appetite for Destruction track. Axel gives a stellar vocal performance on this one, evoking his much more youthful self and proving to any skeptics that he still has it in him after all. If you hated Absurd and were dissuaded from checking out Hard School as a result, well then do yourself a favor and check out Hard School. Perhaps Guns N' Roses should have led with that one. While I'm a tad disappointed that all the new songs from the upcoming EP have already been released, I know there's going to be more where that came from. Over the past five years, various members of Guns N' Roses have continued to insist that a new album is in the works. However, according to an update provided by Slash just the other day, the band haven't really sat down and written anything new from the ground up yet. He claims the focus has thus far been on combing through the myriad unfinished material that Axel had written over the years and, well, finishing some of it. Still, after those last two singles, I'm intrigued to hear what else they might come out with, and I'll be sure to keep you all abreast of the upcoming album or whatever else they're doing as significant details emerge. Anyway, before GNR, I played Uncle Anesthesia by The Screaming Trees, off their 1991 album of the same name. 
Stars by the Smashing Pumpkins off their 2007 album Zeitgeist. Wait in the Car by the Breeders off their 2018 album All Nerve. And When Problems Arise by Fishbone off their 1986 album In Your Face. And that about wraps up a granulous episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I have been your host, Ian. Alas, I will not be doing a Halloween edition of the show in 2021. Yes, yes, I know. Even with Halloween night falling on a Sunday this year. What a waste, right? The fact is, these episodes demand exhaustive research to find good songs that fit the theme, and since I don't know of any databases out there specifically tailored towards Halloween-minded 90s rock, there are some years where I just can't find the time for it. Don't worry, this just means I'll definitely have one made up for Halloween 2022, and you know you can count on that because I hate to break promises I've made over the airwaves. I don't know if you've noticed, but I choose my words on this program very carefully to avoid promising something I'm not sure I can or will deliver on. That being said, I am planning to do four more episodes between now and the end of the year, including one I don't think any of you will be able to predict, so that means I'm going to be picking up the pace a bit with the new episodes, which as of late has fallen to roughly one every five weeks. In the meantime, I'll be closing out this episode with a second song off the Metallica Blacklist. After all that time and energy I spent hyping up the country covers on the Blacklist during my review earlier, you had to know I'd be playing at least one of them at some point this episode. It wasn't an easy decision, but I ultimately settled on John Party's cover of Wherever I May Roam to play myself out. Well, adios for now. (laughs) 